You're listening to Surplus Bulbs, a radio show by Ed Hicks, written and recorded in Hackney. Episode 6 Caveman. Japanese have a saying, take the poison, take the plate. Meaning that if you know that what you're about to eat is going to kill you, may as well eat all the crockery as well. Caveman. shiny new family moved into the shiny new house. She brought two smiley big-eyed kids that seemed impervious to harm. He brought his collection synthesizers and they cobbled together what second-hand furniture they could from the free ads. Her name was Carol, a tall, prim woman. She had something reminiscent of the late-term Princess Di about her, maybe a spot of ecumenical secretary. A voracious reader. She had the kind of toughness you don't really see at first. It was hard-earned. And now she ran a tight ship and administered domestic pronouncements firmly. It was always followed with a wry smile. His name was Robert. An equally tall, gaunt, wet-eyed man. He wore close-cropped hair and had this weirdly Memphistopheles-style beard drank buckets of sweet Assam tea, and was constantly, constantly stoned. Rob would switch from sage-like introspection to giggly adolescent in a second, and had zero ability to plan further into the future than the next three-skin. Now the afterimages of both their previous marriages still stalked them, but were mostly fading. Both their exes had been two doors down from crazy, so towards the unavoidable end, they demanded so much care that both Rob and Carol, respectively, were not living with these people, but for them. Their dappled cottages on shady lanes had become black brick workhouses on one-way streets. But these were new days. There was no map, but they had more love for each other than they knew what to do with. Sickening amounts. Hallmark greetings card amounts. They felt bulletproof with it around them, and the months passed, in blissful novelty. All Rob had ever known was driving buses. His dad had done it, he'd done it. If he had a son, he'd do it too. That was just how it went. But it was the perfect job for the permanently blazed. Rob found that Lebanese Red Seal was the best working hash, 
a long, drawn-out mellow that would ride shotgun all the way through the shift. The routes were mostly gentle suburb trundles, ferrying the local pensioners. Here they would come, huffing through their NHS dentures, as with noble effort they climbed that one perilous step up into the bus cabin to meet him. You're right there, Maduk. Still here, Robert. Going up to the general for me scan. Lungs this time. It's a bloody farce, I tell you. Ah, you'll outrun us all, Beryl. Not with my ankles. But then came the redundancy. Rob was an asset waiting to be stripped. The shareholders of Midland Move PLC were always hungry. Always hungry. And the knife came down and he was out. Now the clerical post Carol held was public sector and sturdy as the day was long. People were nice enough. She went out with friends every so often, and in between all that sensible living, she worked through the Russian classics and made some excellent Bengali dishes from her workmate's secret family recipes. The couple talked over what was to be done now. So he'd lost the buses. So what? Something else would come up. And there was the redundancy money. Well, Rob sighed. I've got the payout. What now? I mean, we could go somewhere nice with the kids. Maybe a new car. Carol stared off. Why don't you do something for yourself? You know, for you. We're in a good place. I know what's going in, coming out. She always knew this. So why not? It's a windfall. Go for it. Really, love? You sure? But she was. And they kissed. And like that, unknowingly, unleashed the great unraveller. Pro Audio Gear. The packages started arriving that very week. His old Yamaha FM synths got their own stands and were hooked up to a vast rack of samplers, expanders, valve compressors, and there were MIDI keyboards, drum pads, mics, and it all got piped through the shiny new computer with not one, but two additional screens. And the quality of the speakers, outrageous. He put on brothers in arms and could hear Mark Knopfler's nose hair rustling in between the takes. But the true bell of the ball was the reverb unit, the Eventide H3000. Rob sat in proprietal wonder at the helm of this great array and had no idea where to start. Now, in the years that followed all this, most people around here blamed the weed. Oh, the bloody weed. And granted, it did play its part, but if guilt should lie anywhere, the truth was, it was at the platform feet of Brian Eno, that cosmic motherfucker, in his New Age ambience. If it was anyone's fault, it was Eno's. Ever since Roxy Music did Virginia Plain on top of the pops, and Brian, the space sylph, had that keyboard break, well, it was captivating. There he went, wanging out on the cutoff filter, the sound mm, modulating as the videographic spazzed the colours into psychedelia. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Rob had been sat on his mate's bedsit floor, and everything changed. He had to know how to make those sounds. It wasn't harmony or structure he was after, more the alchemical moulding of sound and electricity. Up in the spare room, the equipment's functionality 
was bottomless in application. Soon the studio became a laboratory of monged-out soundscapes. He would make a simple two-bar loop, get high as hell, and then would tweak it for hours. And oh, if you could see him, this lanky ex-bus driver in a weird dance of engineering, wandering from rack to rack to desk, a beanpole Dr. Frankenstein at the console, tweaking this oscillator and this wavetable. He would twist the pitches till only bats could hear them, and then thunder down into sub-base oceans, synth pads sung out, granular, modular, analogue, FM. He sampled the sound of himself exhaling smoke, then assigned it to every note on the keyboard, making choir clusters of heavy breathing. Drums, Rob didn't really understand, so only the most basic metronomic clicks accompanied his wild improvisations. But where he really got his kicks was the reverb, man. The reverb. Hello? Hello? And the delay. Hello? 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 Echo. 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 It's all right, that. Rob, darling. Carol had her head on one side and a fresh cup of tea. Oh, blimey, love. Uh, Sorry, I was, um... Did the Martians get you? They have been getting familiar, all right. He pantomimed an uncomfortable sitting position. Oh, I think think they've left their probe up there. Tell you, by the time they're done, I'll have stretched it to a Wellington top. She made a sour face, putting the tea on the side and a little kiss on his forehead. Well, Ziggy Stardust, the karma will be entering the orbit of the dinner table at 20.30 hours. He gazed in awe. She's fantastic. They held a glance. No, you soft sod, she tutted, and blushed, and left. A sweet scene, no? But can you hear that at the back? Right in the bottom of the mix? In amongst the frequencies and the feedback? There it is, that one. The dripping. Drip. 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 As of rainwater on a stone floor, surrounded by echoes. It is faint, but it is marking out time. Time that is running out. Rob always scored drugs from Martin, who lived down from the Four Bulls, over the closed-down airfix shop. He only bought from old mates his own age. It meant he didn't have to pretend to like someone in what was really just a transactional relationship. Also, he wouldn't be played any new bands or any of that hip-hop rubbish. So that saved a lot of trouble. Martin was a mad tangle of Chaz and Dave curls with two enormous red-rimmed eyes that peered out. His voice wheezed strange non-sequiturs punctuated by unasked-for carpentry advice. Now, acid had been Martin's near undoing. Both men agreed wholeheartedly that the unexpanded mind was a narrow and piteous thing. But Martin's explorations had been undertaken with such gusto and for so long that like an old pair of jogging bottoms, the constant expansion had slackened his mental elastics. I tell you what, I have to keep one hand holding myself up, you know. I don't want my mind falling down in public again. 
Are you all right, mate? said Rob, knowing that he definitely was not. They'll uh, let you back into the shopping centre eventually, which they definitely would not. Rob was a hash man, born and bred. Soap bar, gold seal, squidgy black, all the way up to the mythical Nepalese temple ball. But one morning when Martin brought in the scales and the baggies, there was something new. Oh, what's this? Oh, this stuff. This with paper-thin nonchalance. Yes, that. What's that? Martin leaned back, exhaling. Well, that, my man, is straight off the boat. Carly Black. Similar to your tie stick, but in a zone of its own. It was dark like African bushweed, but covered in neon orange crystals and bound tight to a wooden barbecue skewer with red cotton. It radiated fungal potency. This was different. Is it any good? He turned. Martin fixed him with one of his stares. They were deep and blank. Those eyes had journeyed far and wide and witnessed firsthand the insectoid hyperbeings that governed the crystal outer reality who moved in great polygon spheres and encircled the multiform truth at the centre. Yeah, 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 it's good. <sighs> cool. I'll have a quart, if that's right. And by the gods, it was good. Back at the house, back in the studio, back in the sonic landscapes that Rob was crafting, the Carly Black unveiled crazy new possibilities. It was a full-body one for sure, but the elevation, the clarity. The next day, he cycled over to Martin's and bought all the stuff he had and put in an order for lots more. Bloody hell, love. I can smell the house in Shirebrook. The air's gone green. Carol's hazy form silhouetted in the doorway. Rob giggled. You'll get dreadlocks if you carry on like this. Rob giggled. Can you hear me, Major Tom? And Rob broke into a coughing chuckle as Carol mined weird semaphore with her arms. Her son poked his head round the door, made a face, and then went back to burning things in the garden. Rob hadn't really spent any time with the kids in a couple of weeks, and they'd pretty much lost interest in him. He was becoming more akin to a lodger in the house, down for meals, and then foot rubs in front of the telly when the kids had gone to bed. But the distance grew, imperceptibly, as distances want to do. Carol had quite enough on a plate, and he did give the best foot rubs ever. And the other. Oh, he was all right. But can you hear that? That drip, drip, drip. Somewhere out there between the echoes. Closer now. Can you hear it, Brian Eno? This one's on you. The Carly weed was definitely working its dark magic on long, tall Rob by now. It infested his adult mind bit by bit, and stalked him, and staked him as its own. His musical forays were getting weirder and weirder, less tonal, and enacted over 15-hour-long marathon jam sessions. Is he coming back from space? asked the girl, as mother and daughter stood in the hallway with the weird ambient music filtering down from the spare room. 
and the weed smoke already heavy on the morning air. I'm not sure, Pat, she frowned. Well, here's your lunch money. Now his investigations turned at last to reverb. The Eventide H3000 was a dimension unto itself. Rob remodulated the architecture of sounds from ground up. He was building worlds, breathing life and form like a fresh-faced god on the surface of the water. With additional plugins and VSTs, he began virtually modeling atmospheric ambience. You could put a mic in one of the corners, record a sine wave, then isolate the natural acoustics of the room, and then use this as a reverb effect. He tried it in his studio and sat in wonder. It was like he was listening to his own studio. In his own studio. Then he played back that version on one speaker and recorded it from the corner of the room. He did this a hundred times. Record and play and swap and record and play and swap until only wobbling sonic artefacts remained. Then he used that as a basis for the next day's track. He modelled every room in the house. Sorry, kids, got to stay quiet for a bit as I'm just going to record in the bathroom here. Uh, you know how sound travels in the house. They poked their bored faces round the door. How long are you going to be? We've got to brush our teeth. Oh, this piece is, uh, was only a couple of hours long. The young girl sighed, and he handed them their toothbrushes and went back to fiddling with a mic stand. There was something about capturing natural ambience of a room. It was like now you had it as a simulation. In the studio, he flicked from setting to setting. Now I'm in the kitchen. Click. Now I'm in the bathroom. Click. Now I'm in the shed. It was amazing. He was banging into the Carly at breakneck speed, horsing into it, lunging up huge, dark, sticky clouds in the half-light. It moved on to bongs by now. Carol had started leaving the jobs page in the local newspaper open and out on the table, right there, during breakfast. But Rob didn't really notice. It was now that he turned his hand to field recordings. With the stripped-down setup, all run off of a couple of car batteries, Rob went down to the subway that ran under the main road nearby. All night, he played with bouncing various frequencies around the long concrete space. He made a virtual model and played loops of the digitised version into the real space. He ran back and forth, holding a microphone, mumbling made-up words and recording himself at one side and playing it from the other. Mad, pointless experiment. And then returning in the morning as the kids went off to school. And Carol, bless her, merely shook her head, bemused. All right, weirdo, have you had fun in Tramps Canyon? Rob giggled. I really think I'm onto something here. And she narrowed her eyes. No, but I do think you're off some... And she tapped him on the forehead. Tap, tap, drip, 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 drip. Next, Rob played out his questionable audio experiments in the vast echoing bus shelter of his old work, then in the multi-storey car park late at night, then in the cellar of a pub where he was friendly with a landlord. It's coming. I can feel it. There's something in all this. Carol and the kids could only watch from a distance. 
as madness twirled around their happy home. He would dash into the house with his bag of equipment, blurry-eyed and worn out, but energised with a weird concentration. Carol was building up quite a serious relationship with the magic wand he'd ordered her from the catalogue underneath the bed. The foot rubs had dropped off, and the other. But he seemed happy, she guessed. Maybe he was under something. What that something was became clear that Sunday. They were sprawled on the sofa, with some history programme on. The kids were out in the garden, burning each other at the stake. And it was the bit in the programme where the earnest man in the barber jacket was over-explaining stuff about the cave paintings. In a Neolithic site somewhere in France. Rob suddenly started banging the remote, trying to pause the television. Why are you playing that? I was watching that. It's fucking it. What, the remote? He was alive with mad electricity. The, the caves! The, the sound of the caves! I, I need to get in a cave! A cave? Carol buried him in all of the cushions in the sofa and the armchairs and the sat on the top. And how's the sound from in there? She demanded with her arms crossed. A long, thin thumb was raised. She smirked at the muffled giggling. And the dripping got louder and louder. The visitor centre at Cresswell Crags was a small, functional hall with a hopeful-sized yet sparsely attended car park. Rob and Carol pointed and ooed at the lumps of flint and bone once used to skin rabbits or something. Rob wandered over to where there was an odd fantasy genre-style mural painted on the nearby wall. It was apparently an artist impression of cave-dwelling life and featured prodigiously muscled Neanderthals round a glowing red painted fire. The picture looked like a heavy metal band concept album. Saxon or the like, the kind of thing Martin used to be into. Rob had been denied his weed and seemed twitchy when confronted by all this reality. Both kids coloured in the printouts of the woolly mammoths, but only the purple and green pens were working. Then it was time for the guided tour. Well, everyone, welcome to Cresswell Crags. We're going to have a look round now, and I'll be showing you the world-famous remains of this Ice Age settlement the boasts cave art from 10,000 years ago. Now that is older than the pyramids. The guide had a real ailed look about him. Well, he certainly looks historical, Carol whispered as they ducked into the first archaeological site and Rob hit record on a Tascam tape deck he had in his backpack. Now, here is a photo from that day. As you see, the children are up in the front, pointing at the rudimentary horse that's uh, carved on the cave wall. There's Carol kneeling down uh, and agreeing with whatever the youngest just said. And the other two couples are performing similar duties or looking bored. But at the back, we see a tall, gaunt man apart from the main party. He has his hand on the wall and his eyes are closed. In this next shot, we see the families all bunched together. And they're all looking up at the long stalactite that has formed near a hole in the ceiling. But again, the gaunt man strays from the crowd. He is staring intensely at the Yale padlock that the guide unlocked to let them in there. 
Here's another one where the kids are fighting over some Star Wars toys. And in our final image, the adults gather around their offspring as they make wax crayon rubbings of an unrelated set of ammonite fossils. The guide is waving his arms wide, presumably explaining something about the extent of the vast cave system that leads off from this point into and under the hills. But where is the gaunt man? Rob was outside, planning. I won't condone this, Robert. This was back of the house. She was up against the fridge, and she meant it. I'm not planning to steal the bloody rocks and sticks. You were there. Place is falling apart. I'll just replace the lock on one of the side routes. Ones that no one uses. Then I'm out before anyone arrives, Petal. You heard it in there. Can you imagine the reverb? Carol was shaking her head. Love, please. This is where all the work has been leading. The primal setting. The frequencies of... Of bloody... He waved his arms. Of bloody... Human origins. I'm drilling into the core of our evolution. If I could only... Get in there. With the kit. They stared each other out. She won. Rob slumped, defeated. And a long silence moved about them. Carol, it's just... It's just all I've got right now. Which, she thought, was nonsense. He had her, and the house, and the kids, and wanted to risk it all. For what? But ah, here came that face that he did. And there came the eyes. And now came the pity. That old weakness. That old, just this one time. And despite it all, what were you going to do with those eyes? If this was the last bit, then, well... You're an idiot, she sighed. Oh, the patience this woman was capable of! She laid her hand on his short, greying fuzz of hair and felt the mad vibrations of his adult brain. Why was it always the crazies? Always the crazies. And she sang softly to him. There's a star man waiting in the sky. Just come back after this, all right? And he stood up and they kissed like they were teenagers. Come on then, show us how the caveman do it. And so, now, finally, to the great work. The car batteries were prepped. The kit was packed. He got a sleeping bag and some camping supplies. That old Carly stick was back in full force. But for this one, she'd brought friends. Strips of uppers, reds and yellows. Bags of downers. Kessamine, both powdered and liquid. A near full Tupperware box full of magic mushrooms. And finally, four terrifyingly potent microdots. Like miniature black holes they were. A truly fearsome armoury of chemical derangement. But as Martin had said, if a bad idea is worth doing, is it not worth doing to the point of irreparable damage? And so it began. The caves at Cresswell Crags were a seemingly endless warren of chambers and potholes. He spent hours mapping it out. Where the visitors or staff went, and what parts were abandoned. Round the corner from the main routes was a closed-off opening with a sign. The dog hole. Good enough. He popped the locks, replaced them with his own, and he folded his long bones through crawl space 
and found a wide open tunnel. This is it. It will happen here. So with head torch and steely resolve, he set about his work. Rob popped pills and recorded himself reading from a leaflet, then re-recorded that using natural reverberations of the chamber in multiple cycles. So many times it formed long, echoey drones. He beat the walls with willow sticks and cow bones from the butcher. He fed it back, overlaid this with the sound of whittling flints and breathing. He experimented with primal screaming for hours, making his throat hoarse and ragged. He stripped down to his underwear and fought himself on the stone floor, slapping and crying out. Late night, he realized that what he was really doing was casting spells, and it felt right, necessary even. Stone clicks melded with the smell of burnt hair in the cold darkness, and the night wailed on. Sometime the next morning, Carol was at the opening. Do you want to come home yet? But he was so excited. I I think I'm almost there. Oh, my love, my sweet, sweet. All right. Of course he wasn't coming back. She'd known. She'd known all the way there. All right, stick of the dump. I brought you this. It was a roll mat, an extra blanket, and three bags of food. Such treasures. He began to root around inside them. Look, Rob, I don't understand this, but I'll be back in a couple of days, right? Couple of days. Whatever this thing that you're going through is, just work it out. Work it out and come, come back home, okay? She fixed him with all of her resolve. Or don't. But oh... The ultimatum was lost. She saw it bounce off his hatchet-shaped head and lose itself in the darkness of the cave. He was turning into a golem, snarfing marshmallows and obviously high on God knows what. They tried to kiss through the bars but banged heads and then banged teeth and then just gave up. Back in the car, a light rain had started. She gazed at the empty passenger seat. Slapped the engine wheel four times. Then she had a short, very functional cry. And then put on a Bon Jovi tape and drove back home to her waiting children. But back in the cave, things were in motion. Rob was beginning to realise the frequency's hidden knowledge. The almost inaudible held vast implied space. He swam through the chaos, searching. The chemicals inside him sang. The walls shimmered. His very breath was a physical form, human-shaped. It rose up to meet him there in the dark of the cave, and he danced with it. With a burnt stick, he drew weird designs from wall to ceiling across the floor and up again. The mushrooms warped, the ketamine twisted, He became beast, then man, then beast again. Hours dissolved. The tapes played the time back in on itself. He did more drugs. He thought of the anchorites in medieval time, 
walling themselves into stone chambers to reach higher spiritual truth. Of the yogis on mountaintops, starving themselves into enlightenment, and he did more drugs. The cave was a gut, dissolving him into cells. The cave was a funnel to the underworld that he teetered on the edge of. Or it was his own mind, or the collective mind, the first yet new mind. And he did more drugs and recorded himself doing them. Now he spent long, darkened periods in silence, lost within a kind of meditation. And there it went on and on. And there, finally, there it was. Drip, drip, drip. The sound came deep from inside a fissure in the wall, almost inaudible. He pressed his head up against it. Two very distinct drips, one onto stone and the other into a puddle. He listened to their syncopation. They marked out the time from here to there and back. And he thought his mad thoughts and ate tracker bars in the dark of the cave. A day passed. He went deeper. Two days, deeper still. The few leftover batteries were on their last legs, and the sound of the dripping came through crystal clear. It was his metronomic heart. Onto stone, into water, the static and the forever changing. Moments gone, but casting out sound that left traces in the air. It went on back over the eons and rose and fell while empire swelled and became ash. Drip, drip. And a child, then a parent, then old, then dead, then a child, then a parent, then old. Drip, drip. Back and forward at the same time in spiraling helixes that shone history to the galaxies that blessed its circumference and made it grow. Drip, drip. It was a drumbeat ever onwards. Miles from humanity, from love, from home. He gave it all and opened up. So now the past did not speak to him, but by means of him. Through all of this, the small fissure in the cave wall was widening, widening. The man who was once called Robert stood before it. It gaped open to form a pathway through the rock into the living earth. On the other side, Prodigiously muscled Neanderthals, like a heavy metal band album cover, turned slow circles in brush strokes round a painted red fire. He joined them and they welcomed him as a brother. 
together now, they sang their ancient songs in the dark, and the dark sang back to them. The constellations above coagulated into pictograms, and now his friends had the heads of animals, and they sang. They sang the song, and he saw it for what it was. It was a language of naming. It was a language before languages, and the words were true. True like the stones, true like the beginning, and the end, and the beginning were true. And he struck the ground with a jawbone club, and they marked the beat. Carol had given up shouting his name at the locked gate at the mouth of the cave. She pushed the one small bag of food and torch batteries through the gap and picked her way back down the hill to the waiting car. Her crying was a little longer this time, but not by much. The previous husband, Dan his name was, he'd wrung just about all the tears she'd ever had out of her. No more. Not again. On the way back into town, she tried to listen to the Bon Jovi tape, but settled for Queen live at Wembley, 1986. And as the band kicked off, always the crazies, she mused. Always the crazies. Well, it was done now. Listening to Surplus Bulbs, written and produced by Ad Higgs, with music by Ad Higgs. If you wish to support this show, follow the links in the text to our Big Cartel shop, where you can find scenes, prints, original art, and various paraphernalia. Good night.